Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. We talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We are back with another loaded show. Today, we'll give our takeaways from NFL Week 1, College Football Week 2. Is this the end of an era for Alabama football? Is Josh Allen overrated? We've got stuff to talk about, guys. We've got some betting locks of the week coming up later in the show in both the NFL and college football. But joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on? Hey, Brad, an exciting first week of football. Can't wait to get into the takeaways. Of course, first week, a little bit of slow, a little bit of sloppiness, but we're back. We know what's going on. I can't wait to get into this week's games. Man, it is here. It's finally here. NFL week one. College football has been rolling for a couple weeks. It's everything is out there now. I mean, we are rolling. Football is officially back. So many fun games. Like you said, a little sloppy. I think we expected that, right? Not everybody's going to be super sharp week one, but a lot of great football, a lot of great storylines. We had some upsets, tons to get into here, Alex. Alex, let's jump to this Monday night football game. Obviously, tragic situation with Rodgers and that injury. That, that was tough. That was really tough. Everyone was so excited for this game. It had a big, big-time atmosphere. Monday night football, September 11th. The crowds fired up. Jets fans have been waiting for this. NFL fans were waiting for this. This was a huge game. Four plays into the game, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, and all the air gets sucked out of the building. Outside of the injury, we have to talk about Brees Hall looking well, which should have been a touchdown. I'm not sure who that wide receiver was that was celebrating instead of being paying attention and being on his block because this game should have never gone to overtime. That should have been a touchdown by Brees Hall. So that's number one. But he looked fresh. He ripped off that 83-yard run. Dalvin Cook, like he's getting into the swing of things. Now, one thing I know, we spoke about Zach Wilson. If you want to be a quarterback in this league, whether it's a backup or whether it's a chance to be a start on another team, you're going to have to learn to throw out of play action because this team was gashing. They ran for 172 yards at 6.1 yards per average. They were gashing the Bills. This was the perfect time to use play action where you could have taken a shot to Garrett Wilson one-on-one down the field. Again, this is to prevent going into overtime, but they never did. They would gash, 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 and then they would go on the shotgun, which really negated everything that you did with the run because now they know that you're in a pass formation, so they're alerted. Whereas if you stayed in a running formation and then ran out of play action, you would have had Lazard or you would have had Garrett Wilson one-on-one because you would have froze the linebackers and you would have sucked the safeties up and you'd have been able to take a shot. So if Zach Wilson is going to be the guy we know, we've heard about Carson Wentz. Hell, I've heard (laughs) Phillip Rivers and I've heard Joe Flacco as well. And Matt Ryan throwing out there. Who knows what the Jets are going to do? But if if you're going to be a quarterback in this league, that coaching staff and you yourself are going to have to learn to throw out of play action because that is going to be your best friend if this team has any chance of succeeding this year. Yeah, I think that's a valid point, Alex. And if I'm the Jets, I stick with Zach Wilson. Look, we know who he is. He's not a great player, but this is a great team around him. And I think if they can run the ball and lean on that great defense, yes, their Super Bowl window might have closed for this season, but I don't think their playoff window necessarily has. I think this is a team that could still be competitive because of all the pieces around him as long as he takes care of the football. But I'm with you. I think it's a really interesting point. I think they need to clearly shift gears here, but I don't think going to a washed-up veteran quarterback that's sitting on his couch is the answer. Go with the guy who was with you in training camp, who knows the playbook, and played in preseason with these guys, has the familiarity. Zach Wilson looked okay. He looked okay in Monday night, and that was a tough situation too. Coming into a game cold, coming in after practicing and getting very little snaps, having the whole game plan drawn up around Aaron Rodgers and then being thrust into that situation, that was a tough situation for him and these Jets. And I got to give hats off to Robert Sala and his team for not 
folding and showing some fight, showing some heart and winning that game. I thought it was really impressive from that standpoint. What's really tough, I think, is that this team looks really good outside of the quarterback position now going forward. I mean, that defense looks great. Brees Hall was back. He looked really good. Here's who didn't look good. How about Josh Allen, Alex? We got to talk about this guy because Josh Allen, look, he's clearly one of the most talented players in the NFL. I don't think that's debatable. I mean, he's a freak athlete. We've seen the arm, the running ability, his size. But let's look at the facts here. In the last 34 games, that includes the last two regular seasons and then Monday night, he has 32 picks in 34 games. That's a major problem. This guy is not taking care of the football. He's regressed as a starting quarterback, Alex. I really don't like what I've seen from him. And like I said, this isn't a new trend. This has been going on for a little while now. If you look at those picks, I mean, three interceptions in this game, the first two picks were terrible. I mean, terrible picks. You've got a safety over the top, a corner underneath, covering the wide receiver deep. Those are the kind of throws NFL rookies know. You can't make that kind of throw. And then he did it again in the exact same coverage. This type of performance from Josh Allen is unacceptable. I know we talked about Brian Dayball leaving and there just being a little bit of a shift with Ken Dorsey, who's been there, I believe, as the quarterback's coach, but very familiar with the offense, very familiar with the team and the quarterback. But these were very bad turnovers. I mean, they were basically punts. If we just want to be honest, they were they were just long punts that he did that you threw into double covers. These were not smart plays at all. Secondly, the number two thing that I saw, he is still being very reckless with his body. Several times when he had the opportunity to go out of bounds, he turned inbounds to try and lay a hit on a player and instead got himself at sometimes flipped over or he took on a hit. If you're doing this in game one, you're not going to make it through 17 games moving around like this. That's number two. Now, number three, in I don't want to say in his defense, but the Bills, and I've always said they need a running game, they simply, I'm not sure why they're not running the ball. You went out and you got Damian Harris and you brought in Latavius Murray to be more of a smash mouth type of running style as opposed to James Cooks and the smaller running backs that you carry. But you didn't use them. You didn't run them. You ran James Cook a few times, but again, you just got sucked back into doing the old style of offense. You're going to have to establish some type of running game because Josh Allen is not seemingly getting it through his head. I saw Sean McDermott a few times tapping his finger with his head when Josh Allen was taking these hits to get smarter. But this is a team that did not look like they were, they're cohesive at all. You went, you got Dalton Kincaid. He only had four targets. You weren't throwing the ball around. He doesn't seem to be looking at everybody. Stefan Diggs had 13 targets and nobody else outside of the running back had more than four, but the coaching has to get better, and Josh Allen has to get smarter, else they're going to be in a world of trouble. We know the Jets is an elite defense, but you're going to be in a world of trouble as you try to matriculate through this season if Josh Allen thinks he has to be Superman or if he's going to continue to be reckless in order to make it through a 17-game season. Yeah, the reckless hero ball stuff, it's got to stop. This That's what we saw when he came into the league. When he came into the league out of Wyoming, we saw a guy who was raw, a big athletic guy, who was reckless with the football. After two years, everybody was almost ready to give up on this guy. Brian Daywell comes in, kind of refines his game, cuts back on the turnovers. He plays at an MVP level. Brian Daywell leaves, and now we're seeing him go back to that guy that we saw coming out of Wyoming. I really don't like what I've seen. You're right. Not being smart. These are just bad decisions, and it's not just the interceptions like you said, Alex. It's taking big hits that are unnecessary. It's not running out of bounds when you could. It's not throwing the ball away and living to play another down. It's not sliding when you're picking up yards with your legs. It's all of those things. I think it's time for a real question here, Alex. Is Josh Allen overrated? Well, the talent levels 
definitely not overrated. However, you know, I have a rule. You've heard me say it several times. Five years before I want to call anybody elite. A lot of people jump out the window after a first year or two years. Oh, this guy's elite. Or he's on the same level as, let's, if we're saying Mahomes is the guy, you know, similar to what we said about Brady. Oh, he's on the, it's Mahomes and it's this person and that. No, the, it's Mahomes and then there's everybody else. There's only one elite quarterback in this league. His name is Patrick Mahomes. And then however you want to put everybody else in order behind him on another tier. Now, as far as Josh, Josh Allen, yeah, there's a bit of, now that we're in year six, you can't be making these mistakes. You should now, we have a full menu of what you are. You should be getting better. And instead, it looks like you're regressing back. What I thought was maybe the most shocking loss, and that was the Seattle Seahawks getting beat down by L.A. in Seattle. Look, the Geno Smith comeback was a great story last year, but I think it's over. I think that storyline is officially over. Geno is 3-7 and seven in his last 10 games. That was a bad home loss versus the Rams. Stafford looked healthy on the other side. I like what I saw from him playing like he did two or three years ago. And, and look, I like this young roster. I like what Seattle is building here. But losing to a less talented team at home, I, Alex, my finger is near. I'm not hitting it, but it's near the panic button for the Seahawks. I'm not going to panic yet. I don't like what I saw, at least for the first week. They need to start to rev up on the run a little bit more. Now, obviously, this game got a little bit out of hand, so you need to rely on Gino in the second half. But in the first half, they went into halftime up 13 to 10, excuse me, 13 to 7. And then they got shut out the second half. And it's truly a lot because they didn't run the ball. I don't Gino should not be throwing the ball probably over 20 to 25 times a game with Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet, a person that we talked about coming into the draft and a person I said is what Pete was going to do, which was get back to a ground and pound and Gino just simply be a game manager. Last year, he had to make a lot of plays. This year, he should be coming in and being a game manager. So I think it's just knocking off a little bit of the rust, getting everybody back on the same page because Zach Charbonnet only had three rushes for 11 yards. Kenneth Walker only 12 for 64. They should each they should have run the ball. I would say over th- uh, probably thirty times, and they only rushed for eighteen uh, rushed it eighteen times for eighty five yards. So that was the biggest issue that I saw there. I didn't like the way their game plan was coming into the second half. But again, kudos to Stafford. His arm looked strong. That was the main thing we're looking at. And I actually don't know if you speak to Rams fans is that if that's good or not given how they tried to trade Matthew Stafford. This might not, might not bode well for a lot of Rams fans, but good for Stafford. Arm looks strong. And those and shout out to those young receivers because without Cooper Cup, Tutu Atwell, and Puka Nakua, they look like some guys out there that they're be, beginning to bring along. Patriots-Eagles. This was an interesting game. Mac Jones throws a pick six. Zeke fumbles. Bad start. They rebound, and they actually looked really like the better team in the second half. The defense is legit. We knew they were going to be good. They looked really good. Christian Gonzalez is legit. I know it's one game. We loved this guy. We couldn't stop talking about him in the draft. He looks like the real deal. Love what I saw from him. The Eagles' offensive line really struggled versus that New England front seven. And this Eagles' O-line, we know, is talked about as being one of the best in the NFL, even in a loss. I was pretty impressed with what I saw from the Patriots. Absolutely. They got punched in the face and they got up because that was 16-0, I think, before even the first quarter ended. And then from there, they had to battle back. And Mac Jones, we can clearly see the difference in having Bill O'Brien and whoever they had last year, Joe Judge and I don't know, me and you. You could clearly see the difference. He threw for 300 and he threw 54 times. That is not, first off, that's not what you want Mac Jones to do, but it was needed because you were down and they were able to fight back to make that game 16 14 going into halftime, only down by two. He threw for 316. Three TDs in the interception, and the interception wasn't his fault. It was a drop pass. I think the weather was a little bit murky, so it might have been a, a slipped through the hands and popped up in the air for Dar- for Dar- Slay to take to the house. You know, and then again, the running game, Zeke fumbling. That's actually, I don't think that's too common. Ramondre Stevenson, 12 carries, 25 yards, 2.1. That's not what the Patriots want to do. I think it was kind of an ugly game. I also, But I do want to point out something that I watched and I I've been very big on Keon White. Keon White had a zero 
stat line except for one pass defended. But if you're looking at the stat line, you did not see the havoc that this guy was wreaking across that entire line, wherever they put him inside, outside, left, right. It did not matter. He was going to work. But this guy is going to be a problem for years to come. We're looking at a future, not necessarily pro bowler, but we're going. We're looking at an all pro. This guy is Richard Seymour as the way that he is coming into the league and doing the things that he was able to do. I was able to key on and then watch the film and just really focus on him. He was causing havoc and it's going to be interesting to watch as this team is only going to get stronger as the year goes on but i do want to shift for one moment to the philadelphia eagles i said it in the beginning and i'm going to say it again this running game is going to be a problem again i get it's only one game kenneth gainwell was the lead back with 14 carries 54 yards that is not how Philadelphia was usually winning their games last year. And again, I don't know who the guy is going to be. People kept talking to me about DeAndre Swift. One carry, three yards. What does that tell you about what I thought about him and now what the team thinks about him as well? We also didn't see Rashard Penny at all. He may be hurt. Boston Scott, one carry for three yards. Jalen Hurts is Jalen Hurts. We're going to leave him out since he's not a quote-unquote running back, but he is counted in the running game. This running game is going to be a problem, and they're going to lean, have to lean on Jalen Hurts' arm a lot more than they want to, and it's the reason that we have the Cowboys over the Eagles. They'll still be a playoff team, but this running game is going to be a problem as the season progresses. I'm not ready to panic about the Bengals, but this was an impressive win by the Browns, and this is a team that might have been a little overlooked this offseason, they look pretty good. Now, Cincy, like I said, not going to panic. They didn't look good. I mean, there's no way around it. They got beat up in this game. But we've seen Cincinnati with some slow starts. We've seen them recover from 0-1 and 0-2 starts and go on to have really good seasons. So I think they're going to be fine. But I got to give a tip of the cap to what I saw from the Browns. They came ready to play. Yeah, I mean, I'm not panicking at all. I mean, this is something I spoke about, and I said – just let's just go off to history alone and let's just trust what we've been seeing from Joe Burrow. Not having any preseason, always missing the preseason. That first game is always a disaster. Last year was five interceptions. This year, thank you, because uh, I have Joe Burrow and three of my teams fantasy-wise giving me a one point. But 14 for 31, 82, 82 yards. Terrible. The running game, they couldn't do anything. They were just getting dominated across the board. So, they were clearly out of sync. This team will be better. But when we talked about games to watch, I said this was a game to watch because of the same reasons that I just said, that Cleveland's going to go in there and they're going to win simply because Joe Burrow does not have good games when he's coming off of not having a full a full offseason. He didn't again, so I expected this. I'm not panicking at all. This is just simply what I expected. Not to be this bad for my fantasy team, but I was expecting them to lose. Tell me this, Alex, how is it possible to run for 234 yards, finish plus two in the turnover differential, and still lose? This is the LA Chargers we're talking about. The answer, Brandon Staley and this defensive play calling. Absolutely terrible. I, I can't get my head around how bad this coaching staff is. You've got too much talent. I, I'm lost for words, Alex. It, it's It's becoming hard to watch. Every year we see this team with talent and somehow they always find ways to lose games. And once again, it keeps coming back to the defense and I've got to put the blame on Brandon Staley because not only is he the head coach, he is calling the defensive plays. He made no adjustments in this game. He got carved up. It was hard to watch. Yeah. Once the cheetah is loose, you have to do something immediately. I mean, you have one of the best safeties in the league, healthy at that as well. And Derwin James, you have a decent young corner in Asante Samuel. You're just going to have to bracket this guy. You're going to have to play cover two. You're going to have to do whatever it is you need to do for him to go for 215 yards. Whether you saw the game or not, this means you did not make any adjustments because this was not simple screen passes and he just took off. No, these were down the field passes that they simply did not make any adjustments on. And they were running the, the, Chargers secondary in circles and without any adjustment. It did not make any sense. Terry Kill average per catch, 19.5. Jalen Waddle, 19.5. The tight end, 14.7. Braxton Berrios, 14. No, this means they are gashing you for big 
plays, not just first downs, but first downs in either run after the catch or they were catching it and they were past the first down. You did not make any adjustments. Now, I will say to give the Chargers some credit because I am on Kellen Moore a lot. He actually ran more than he threw, which was a surprise, which was surprising when you're in a shootout that they ran more than they threw. He must recognize something and took advantage of the uh, Dolphins' defense up front. So there must have been something that he saw. But however, you're absolutely right. This is on Brandon Staley. You made no adjustments. First off, you shouldn't even be the coach of this team, wink, wink, Sean Payton. But you're here, and I don't know what they are going to do because this was a season that you're supposed to come in and you're supposed to challenge for this division. And as of right now, you look like the same team you've looked for the past two years, simply bad coaching. Maybe a little bit better on the offensive play calling standpoint, but horrific on the defensive end and horrific at the head coach. Yeah, it was absolutely terrible. And I think from a play calling standpoint, that Vic Fangio defense, we know that it's really known for quarters coverage and his philosophy is to really take away the chunk plays, take away the deep balls, take away the big plays downfield. That's what he's trying to do more often than not. He wants to force you to play a long, methodical game against his defense, forcing you to play underneath, forcing you to run the ball. And that's exactly what the Chargers did. And I have to give them credit. Like you said, Kellen Moore saw that. Justin Herbert saw that. They realized, look, we've got to take what this defense is giving us. And they did their part. They put up more than enough points where they should have been able to win this game. That's why I'm so critical of Staley, because now it's up to him and the defense to get enough stops or at least slow this team down enough that you should win that game. Embarrassing, absolutely embarrassing. And if you're going to put all this money into a young quarterback and you're going to put that kind of investment in him, why go cheap on the coach? I just I don't understand that this is a franchise that continues to go cheap on coaches and not invest in probably the most important position other than the quarterback is the head coach, as we know, and they continue to fail from that standpoint. And it's just become hard to watch. You know, before we move on, let's just give a quick shout out because Mike McDaniel, what he's doing with that Dolphins offense. I mean, we saw what happened to Tua last year. They simply picked up right where they left off. I don't want to just blow past them because the Chargers defense and their head coach was so terrible, but that was an offensive onslaught from what we saw. They just picked right up from where they left off. Yeah, it's a good point, Alex. It really is because Mike McDaniel has made a huge difference for this offense. There's no doubt about it. He has clearly flipped Tua's career around here because we saw Tua his first couple of years with Brian Flores, defensive-minded coach. He struggled. People were calling him a bust. All of a sudden, you get an offensive-minded guy like McDaniel in there, and instantly things change. Now, granted, he does have two high-level receivers, and that certainly helps, but the play calling has been really good. He's leaning into what Tua does well, and they you're right. They look exactly like the team they did midseason before Tua started dealing with the injuries, and that offense is really looking explosive right now. I want to shift to the Packers-Bears game because Sunday was Jordan Love's second career start in the NFL, and it was Justin Fields' 26th, and it's clear as day who the better quarterback is. Justin Fields' looks like the exact same guy that we saw at Ohio State. I don't think he's improved at all, Alex. Nothing this guy has shown me tells me that he's taking those steps to become a high-level quarterback. It's the same problems we've seen from his rookie year and going back to college. If his first option isn't open, he's just quick to tuck the ball and run and rely on his athletic ability. And look, the guy's athletic. He can scramble. He can pick up yards. He's dynamic. I get all that. But if you cannot sit in the pocket, get through your reads, and get to your second and third and even fourth options at times, you are never going to succeed in the NFL. That's just the bottom line. And the Bears, this team is bad. I mean, granted, he hasn't looked good, but this team doesn't look very good. It still looks like there's a lot of holes on this roster. Now, they have two top 10 picks, I'm guessing here, that they're going to have two top 10 picks in April, and I think they're going to be drafting a quarterback. And if this franchise is smart, they're going to go get an offensive-minded head coach to pair with a new quarterback. When people, we have these conversations, there's always a thought process of, oh, there's this, there's that. No, and Brad can tell you, I've sent him tape of receivers running, running wide open and Justin Fields not seeing them on crossing routes, 
and him running himself into sacks. They always talked about the offensive line. Well, if you love PFF, PFF had them rated at the 14th best offensive line last year, which means they were in the top 16. They were in the top 16 of offensive lines last year. Worse than the Giants, by the way, that made the playoffs, as well as Cincinnati. So when we're looking at Justin Fields, I'm not just speaking hyperbole because I talk about him in Ohio State. It's because I'm actually watching what's going on. This was a game I live watched with somebody, and we were literally counting out loud one 1,000, and he was taking off. He's not going through his reads. He needs to be able to trust himself a little bit more and also trust the offensive line that they're going to protect him and not just leave the pocket where you can run yourself into bad plays and take yourself out of plays because you're not throwing receivers open. You are absolutely right. Looking at that offensive side of the ball, you're going to need to bring in an offensive-minded coach, whether you have the top pick or whether you're going to try and figure this out with Justin Fields because there's no way he should be throwing more than you guys are running in terms of why you have to bring this, bring him along a little bit more. He threw 37 times. They only ran it 29 times. And the game at halftime was only 10 to 6. So it's not like the game was out of hand and he had to go to his arm. No, you were still within this game. You need to slow the game down for him by running the ball with Khalil Herbert and Dante Foreman. And you chose not to do so. So a lot of that I'm going to look in terms of just looking at Justin Fields and just taking him out of the equation, but I have to look at the coaching as well. However, on the flip side of this game, Jordan Love looked like a good game manager. He made direct strikes. There was a few passes that were a little bit shaky, but three, 245, three touchdowns. The running game, I know Aaron Jones pulled up lame on a uh, touchdown run, on a touchdown uh, run that he had. So hopefully he's going to be back, but they do have A.J. Dillon. Luke Musgrave, who, wink, wink, fantasy alert, if he's on your wire, you might want to go pick him up. Luke Musgrave looked like he's going to be a guy, probably the best tight end in terms of production so far, even though they're going to be more talented. Romeo Dobbs caught two touchdowns. So I like what I'm saying. They did all of this without their best wide receiver, Christian Watson. So I love that we picked Green Bay to win this division. I love how they're playing defense. I love how they're playing together. So I look forward to seeing more from Green Bay. Yeah, they look really sharp, man. They look sharp. I really like what I've seen from Jordan Love. What we saw in preseason appears to be real because week one, he looks like the guy moving forward. It looks like it's crazy to think about, Alex. It looks like they might have three straight franchise quarterbacks going from Favre to Rodgers to Love. Now, look, I'm not ready to put Love in the Favre-Rodgers category. It's way, way too early for that. But the fact that they have a guy that looks like a young guy that they can build around is crazy because you look at a team like Chicago on the other side who essentially has never had a franchise quarterback in, what, a 100 years. And here's Green Bay going back to back to back at the quarterback position. That's got to be a tough pill to swallow if if you're a Bears fan. Because it looks like this is this series is going to continue to be lopsided for years to come until Chicago figures that or figures out that position. And I'm telling you, it's not Justin Fields. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story.
Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you. Alex, I think it's time to start the clock on Ryan Tannehill's possible replacement. This Titans team is terrible, and it starts with him. The offensive line is really as bad as I expected. That was a big question mark for me going into this season. I think the rebuild is coming next year. I think the writing's on the wall. For the Saints, I'm worried about their offensive line. It didn't look very good either. Derek Carr is going to be under a lot of pressure this year. I'm not high on either one of these teams. I, I just saw a lot of holes on these rosters. Absolutely. I mean, we mentioned it before, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Henry, as well as the head coach, Vrabel, are all on one-year deals. So we know that this is the end of the road for Tannehill and Henry and perhaps Vrabel as well. But again, like I said, this is just a tough team. They're just going to tough it out just like their head coach. They're not going to lay down. It's going to be a fight in a phone booth every single game. So, However we can see Tennessee and wherever they're going, they're going to fight, 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 fight. And we already talked about New Orleans. We didn't believe in them too much. But, hey, shout out to Michael Thomas for making it through one game. (laughs) I like it, man. Quick note here. Houston, Baltimore. This was kind of an interesting game because Houston's pass rush really made Lamar Jackson look really uncomfortable in this game. And Texans defense with D'Amico Ryans pulling the strings on that side of the ball I think they're going to be a lot better this year on that side of the ball. I I like what I saw from that group. Now, for Baltimore, Zay Flowers, guys, he's the guy that we thought he was going to be coming out of the draft. He looks like the real deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he looks like a nice safety valve, another safety valve. Mark Andrews did not play this game. He had nine catches for 78 yards, so I love what I saw from him. Crisp, crisp crisp routes those intermediate throws that Lamar Jackson loves to throw he was hitting them and I like that I saw Lamar Jackson take a few shots to Odell Beckham Jr. one of them he uh, was able to draw a defensive pass interference deep down the sideline that was that and CJ Stroud again perhaps shout out to you for being the only quarterback whose first pass was caught by himself (laughs) yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that whole team kind of develops here a lot of young guys but Like I said earlier when we talked about this division, I like D'Amico Ryans. I think he's going to be a good hire. It's going to take a couple drafts to really start to build this team, but I like some of the young pieces they have in place here. I think they could be at least moving in the right direction. Now, we got to jump to a game that I think was really eye-opening. The 49ers absolutely destroying the Pittsburgh Steelers. This was a two-point spread going into this game. Vegas clearly thought this was going to be a close game. I didn't think it would be close. I thought this was going to be a mismatch on the offensive and defensive lines, and it clearly was. But I'll admit, I didn't think it would get this out of hand. This wasn't even competitive. The Niners absolutely stomped the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road, no less. Now, Brock Purdy, look, I've seen enough, Alex. I've seen enough from this kid. This kid is really really good. Now, does he have a great team? Yes. Does he have a great coach, a great play caller? Yes. But he made so many good throws in this game, and he made a lot of throws under pressure with pinpoint accuracy. I mean, he was putting balls on the money multiple times, staring down the barrel with defenders in his face, 
stepping up, maneuvering in the pocket, and just throwing darts. I loved what I saw from this guy. He had a touchdown throw to Brandon Ayuk, where Brandon Ayuk was towards the back half of the end zone, was completely blanketed. I mean, I'm talking crazy good coverage. You couldn't have played any better defense. And he fit it into a window that was the size of a shoebox. I mean, maybe smaller. I mean, it was such a tight throw, absolutely on the money, big-time throw. And he had a bunch of throws like that in this game. Christian McCaffrey, he looks exactly like the guy did last year in this offense. He was awesome. He was dynamic. There are so many pass rushers for this team. Right now, I don't think there's any doubt. They're the best team in the NFL. Yeah, after week one, there's nothing. Well, I think Dallas may have something to say about that. But after week one, they, you know, you're they're up there. They're either one or two, depending on how you feel about Dallas. But on the other side of that, Pittsburgh, I mean, if Kenny Pickett is throwing the ball 46 times, you're not winning the game. Sorry. We knew that that was a weak quarterback draft coming in, and we knew that he is not a truck. He is a trailer, and he needs a lot more help than the 18 wheels to get this offense off the ground. We know they have a lot of weapons, Allen Robinson, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, as well as Fryermuth, as well as Washington. And it seemed like they didn't want to use any of them for this game. I mean, Najee Harris and Jalen Warren as well. That offensive line did not look cohesive. They did not, for a Mike Tomlin team, they did not look ready to play with the exception of perhaps TJ Watt, who had three sacks. But they did not look ready to play at all. They need to right the ship. I mean, you can't go through another season 98. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to make a step. I did pick them to make the playoffs this year because I'm counting on Mike Tomlin to really do some things. I like what they did in the offseason, but they're going to need to step it up because this should not have been this. This should not have been the onslaught that it was. And shout out to me for being dumb enough to think that Pittsburgh was going to win this game. And I kept Brian Ayuk, uh, excuse me, Brandon Ayuk on the bench in both my fantasy teams and lost. All right, let's wrap up NFL week one with the game ball. Alex, who gets your NFL week one game ball? I'm going to give it to Xavier Gibson of the Jets. I mean, a kid that actually, again, me and Brad share a lot of spaces off air, but we were sharing a space and we were hearing about this kid from a mutual friend of ours who had just been talking about him and saying he's going to make the team, he's going to make the team. And boy, did he make the team and boy, did he ever show up. Xavier Gibson, 112 yards returning, one TD, of course, the 66-yard punt return to win the game in overtime and get that win against the Bills. Exciting stuff, exciting game, you know, 9-11, everything in New York. So it was. I want to give him a shout out and I'll, you know, shout him out because that was exciting to see. And I like that for a young player that nobody was thinking about. Yeah, that's a great pick, Alex. And I'm kind of in a similar mindset here because I'm going with Jets defensive back Jordan Whitehead. I mean, look, Monday Night Football, we talked about it. Aaron Rodgers goes down early in this game. It just sucks the air and the life completely out of the building. Hats off to this Jets defense for stepping up in this game. And Jordan Whitehead had a career day. Three interceptions. Look, we talked about Josh Allen being reckless, and that's true. But you still got to make plays. You still got to make plays in coverage, and he made – some incredible plays in this game. Three picks in any level of football, especially at the NFL level, is incredible. So Jordan Whitehead gets the game ball from me. I'm going to throw one more out there. The Patriots offensive line. All we heard all this year coming into, they got Jalen Carr. They have this person. They have that person. This man was barely pressured. He was only sacked two times and was able to throw back, stand back, they drop back 58 times for 316 yards and bring that team back. I just want to give them a quick shout out. Pat's O'Line, good job. All right, Alex. This week, the Twitter poll question of the week, I asked you guys, are the Texas Longhorns a national championship contender? 41% said yes. 58% said no. Pretty split on this one. And the reason I bring this up is because obviously the game of the week was Texas-Alabama. Texas gets a huge win over the tide on the road. And I think it's a legit question at this point. Is Texas back? Are they a legit contender? That was an impressive win. I was skeptical of this program going into the year. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I was not ready to say that they're for sure back. And I still don't know if I am just yet, but I was impressed because, like I said, this was a huge win. And one thing was clear to me, they had just as much, if not more, talent on their roster than Alabama did. Yeah, going into this game, there was a lot of talk about how vanilla the Texas Longhorns look, but, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk that 
because of who the coach is, because of who Nick Saban is, we know that they coached together for a while, so they know each other very well. He was vanilla on purpose, and it showed when we got to this game that it appeared that he was doing that on purpose because he was gearing up for this game. 34-24 win. Salute to the Texas Longhorns. They could look like they're back, but Brad, I think you had an interesting take on the other side of that in terms of Alabama. Yeah, guys, if you don't subscribe to the newsletter, I encourage you guys do because I wrote an article recently on there asking basically, is this the end of an era for Alabama football? It looks like they're slipping away from what we've seen as far as being this continual college football playoff contender, national championship contender, a team that people used to just pencil in basically every year as a legit contender. I think those days might be numbered here. We saw what Georgia's done. We've seen the rise that they've had. They've clearly passed Alabama as being the elite team in that conference and, well, quite frankly, the most elite team in college football. But I have real concerns about Alabama. We know Saban is 71 years old. How much longer can he do it? The NIL, the transfer portal, there's a lot of things that have kind of reshaped college football in a lot of ways, and it doesn't look like Alabama is really the same team that we've seen in years past. They're talented. They've got good players. They can still have a really nice year. Don't get me wrong. But I think their national championship days are over. And and here's the thing, Alex. It's not just Alabama as far as the SEC goes because I'm looking at this conference right now. I'm circling this conference because for the first time since 2002, Alabama, Florida, and LSU all have a loss by the end of week two. Now, Georgia is still number one. And we know how good they are. They look legit once again. But the rest of the SEC, for the first time in a long time, looks pretty average right now. Florida had that mistake-filled opener versus Utah. North Carolina smoked South Carolina. Florida State torched LSU. Wake Forest beat up Vanderbilt. Texas A&M got crushed by Miami. Ole Miss let Tulane hang around for way too long in that game with a backup quarterback, no less. Mississippi State beat Arizona, but it took overtime to get that done. Auburn barely beat a bad Cal team. Missouri had to outlast Middle Tennessee. Kentucky played a close game with Eastern Kentucky. And then, obviously, what we just talked about, Texas with the big win over Alabama. I think the biggest reason why the SEC is down a little bit is the quarterback play just looks really weak in this conference right now, Alex. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of things to attribute it to. I'm, I'm always going to go right to the NIL because, and we could, you spoke about my team in the Florida Gators, and we can go right to Jane Rashada. You know, we should have a quarterback of the of that ilk, but we don't because he went to another team. But I think this is just what the NIL is starting to do. Talent is starting to spread out. Everybody does not need to hoard in one spot and wait their turn. Guys can go to other places and and get together and formulate and start teams other places and go in different divisions. And also we're seeing the division shift with what's happening with the pack. Let's just call it two now, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) The Big Ten. And what's happening is we're watching the shift. And you could be right. I'm going to say could be right. Because it's still, we're going to have to watch to see how this recruiting goes in the next two years and see what happens. I mean, Jimbo Fisher being an AM doesn't help anybody in the SEC, so I'll just leave that there. But we're going to have to wait and see what really happens. I say in the next two years to see how this, well, actually I'll say three years, to see what how everything really shakes out and shifts. Yeah, you're not kidding about Jimbo Fisher. Man, what a joke. I mean, that guy, he's been able to recruit, but getting crushed by Miami. I mean, I know he has a monster contract, a huge contract, but I I can't believe he's still the head coach for the Aggies. This guy has been nothing but a joke since he came over from Florida State. Now, we mentioned quarterbacks, and you mentioned the Pac-2, which (laughs) is, I guess, all that's going to be left of it. But the last season of the Pac-12, so to speak, it's really sad. And I've talked about this on a prior episode. It's sad to see this league kind of fall apart here because they're loaded this year. I think this is easily the best quarterback conference in college football right now. Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. throwing for basically 400 yards a game. Cam Ward at Washington State might be the best quarterback that nobody knows about. Dante Moore, the five-star freshman at UCLA, he looks good. 
Jaden Delora has a lot of talent at Arizona. Cam Rising hasn't even played yet at Utah because of injuries. And now Shadur Sanders at Colorado, who, Alex, he looks like an NFL quarterback, not just an NFL quarterback. I'm going to make a prediction here. I think he's going to be the second quarterback off the board after Caleb Williams. Yeah, I said uh, for a few pods now, Drake May, I don't think he's going to be the second rated quarterback coming out now, whether that's Shador, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, anybody can step up. But Shador is really looking like a true quarterback. And what I mean by that is there were a lot of questions coming from an HBCU where he got where he got his feet wet, where he was grounded at, where he got a lot of his training and fortitude from, and now bringing that to one of the Power Five conferences and still showing that poise. I think the number one thing about him is the poise, is the calmness, is the control. We can talk about the skill set, but it's what's between the ears that really matters when you're a quarterback. He never looks like he doesn't know what's going on. He never looks like he's panicking. He's always in control. And a good play, a bad play, or whatever it is, he's never out of control. And that is a trait. That is not a skill set. That is a trait that you have just been, that's been instilled in you. And oh, by the way, his father's Deion Sanders. And we know what that guy did. I don't know. He might've done something in the NFL. I'm not sure. But we know what that is. And it's showing on the field and it's showing his leadership and how he's leading this team. Yeah, I absolutely love watching this kid each week. And Colorado has become a must watch program this year because of guys like Shador Sanders, obviously Dion and what he's doing and some of the young players over there that he's brought in. But yeah, Shador Sanders looks like the real deal. And you hit on it, Alex. Athletically, he checks all the boxes. He's got a he's got a good arm. He's accurate. He's mobile. He's got all the things you're looking for physically. But we know that quarterback is the one position where what's above your shoulders is actually more important than the physical traits. And I think he's checking those boxes as well, Alex, because you're right. He's poised. He's got good pocket awareness. He knows when to move his feet. He knows when to get out of trouble. He keeps his eyes down the field. He has good vision. He gets through his reads. I really, really like what I see from this kid. And I think he is flying up draft boards right now. Before we shift here from the Pac-12, because there's a couple other games I want to talk about here real quick. USC, look, a lot of people are questioning this team because of the defense. And, and I get it. But last week, it looked like the defense took a step forward. I know it was Stanford, and they're not great. But it, they looked better and it looks like we're seeing some improvement on that side of the ball. But at this point, I don't know how great that defense has to be because they look like they could hang 50 on anybody in college football right now. And it's not just Caleb Williams, because if you guys haven't been paying attention, Zachariah Branch, the five-star freshman wide receiver, look, this guy's the best freshman in all of college football, maybe the most electric playmaker in college football. Man, is he explosive. One of the other games that I thought was really a great game, probably one of the best games of college football last week, Oregon-Texas Tech. This game was back and forth, down to the wire. Oregon's defense made some key plays to pull out a big win on the road when it really looked like Texas Tech was going to get a big upset win. Notre Dame is a team that I think we need to circle, Alex. They might be legit this season. They continue to look really impressive. I like what I'm seeing from Sam Hartman, that offensive line. They've got running backs. This team could be in the college football playoff mix. Now, we talked about Colorado, and rightfully so. This team has been one of the most fun teams to watch. They crushed Nebraska last week. That was a big, big win for them and another big step forward because that was a game that, once again, people thought was going to be close. People thought Nebraska would be able to hang around in this game. Not the case. Not a great start for Matt Rule in Nebraska. I'm starting to really question this program going forward because we just continue to see coaches fail over and over and over again. And I think it's time for this fan base to realize that the 1990s are never coming back. This program I don't think is ever going to be a college football powerhouse ever again yeah and it's sad to see I mean the Tom Osborne uh, Tommy Frazier days are long gone if you can't recruit if you can't pull people in I think the last probably big time recruit they got in big time players out of that program was probably in Dominic and Sue so you're not really putting a lot of guys at a high level into the league so it's going to be harder for you to recruit in this in, in this situation Matt Rule I mean we know what you did at Temple 
We know what you then did at Baylor, but you have a lot ahead of you now. And again, in this new NIL era that we're living in, a lot of coaches from what they used to do, they're going to have to adapt to a different way of doing things. And when you have to compete and, you know, I hate to keep talking about Dion, but when you have to compete with a guy like Dion with his natural connections being who he is and people who want to be connected with him. He can leverage a lot of different things. I don't know if that's legal or not, but he can leverage a lot of different things for his players and for a lot for them to do. So a lot of these coaches, Matt Rule included, is going to have to get creative in order to get players into the building. Alex, college football week two was absolutely awesome. A lot of big time performances. Who's going to get your week two helmet sticker? I'm going to give it to a unit. I'm going to give it to the Colorado Buffalo's defense because everyone was talking about, hey, they look explosive on offense, but that defense needs a lot of work. But Nebraska shows up and that defense showed up, shutting them out in the first quarter and then limiting them to 14 points overall, which was on the back in the last two quarters when you kind of start to play a little bit of prevent defense and take your foot off the gas so to speak. So I'm going to give it to the entire Colorado Colorado Buffalo's defense because they needed a game like this moving forward. Yeah, they gave up a lot of yards and a lot of big plays to TCU the week before, but you're right. They stepped up big on that side of the ball, really clamped down on Nebraska. I like that pick, Alex. I'm going to go with Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers for my week two helmet sticker. 24 for 38. 349 yards and three touchdowns. Now, look, I talked about Alabama is not the program they used to be, but this is still Alabama. I mean, let's be real. You're still throwing against a bunch of four- and five-star guys and a bunch of guys who are going to play on Sunday. So this was impressive. This was a huge, huge game for him. Obviously, a huge game for Texas and this program in Sark. On the road, no less, Alabama, hostile environment. The crowd was rocking. Quinn Ewers played lights out, not only making a statement win for the Longhorns, showing everyone that they might actually be ready to compete in the SEC next year. And I was really questioning them, like I said, going into this year, where this program was headed. I had huge question marks around Sark and can he actually build the type of program that could compete in the SEC? Well, that was a big test that they passed on Saturday. Not only that, on a side note here, I think Quinn Ewers also just boosted his draft stock with a big-time performance like that. All right, let's look ahead to college football week three. Not a ton of great matchups. There's no top 25 matchups this week. But what is the game that you're circling, Alex? What would be your college football game of the week? It's going to be LSU versus Mississippi State. Stay in the SEC, of course, I'm an SEC lover, ha, ha, ha. But, yeah, I'm interested to see. I think Mississippi State can pick off LSU. Again, yes, I know I'm the guy that picked LSU to win the national championship, but looking at what I saw, looking at how they're playing, Mississippi State is getting this starting to roll a little bit here, and we're going to have to start to pay attention to what's going on. And if they're able to win this game, this would basically knock LSU, for the most part, out of the national championship pitcher, two losses within three weeks is not a good look for any team that's supposed to be surging towards the college playoffs. But I think Mississippi State is going to have a chance to to knock them off. I'm going to go with an old school rivalry game. How about Pitt-West Virginia? I know how much you love the Pitt Panthers in that program, Alex. I know you're a Florida Gators fan, but sometimes I secretly think you're a Pitt Panthers fan. West Virginia is a one-point underdog against Pitt. I think this is going to be a really fun game. Now, West Virginia didn't look great versus Penn State, but I think Penn State is for real this year, so I'm not going to put too much into that because I think West Virginia quarterback Garrett Green is a guy who can have success in this game. He has already over 400 yards and four touchdowns in two games. He's been playing really good, and Pitt quarterback Phil Jerkovic I think could have a big game versus West Virginia's secondary. I think there's some holes back there. So this is a game to watch here. I think this could be a little bit of a shootout. The over-under is 50. But like I said, I think this could be a lot more high scoring than people realize with those two quarterbacks being able to make plays. I'm going to take Pitt to win this game, to cover, and I like the over in this one. But I think this is going to be a really fun game to watch. All right, how about in the NFL, Alex? NFL Week 2, some good matchups. Which one are you circling for your game of the week? I'm going to go with the Packers and Falcons. 
two teams that we both picked as, well, we didn't both pick the Falcons, but a team that we picked as a division winner and the Falcons as I picked as a division winner with young quarterbacks, young surging teams just coming off of week one. I want to see this game. This is a home game for the Falcons. I want to see if the Packers can stop the run and force Desmond Ritter to see what he can do with his arm. We don't know if Drake London's going to play, and we're going to see if what this Packers O-line looks like against this revamped Falcons defensive line and to see what Jordan Love can do against A.J. Terrell and Jesse Bates. I think this is going to tell a lot for both teams on both sides of the ball, so I'm very much interested in that game. I picked Packers-Falcons as well, Alex. I think this is a really kind of sneaky good game, and there's a lot of good ones. I think Kansas City, Jacksonville, some of the games you mentioned, there's a lot of good games to pick from, but this is a game that I circle too. Both teams are 1-0. Both looked good last week. I like what I saw from Jordan Love, the running game, the defense. Packers looking like a very complete football team right now. Falcons rookie running back, Bijan Robinson, man, he looks like the real deal. He looks like every bit as good as advertised. Can the Falcons run the ball versus that Green Bay defense? Can Ritter get the ball to his big playmakers? Can they finally get something going through the air? This is a sneaky good game. I'm excited for that one too, Alex. All right, let's make some bets here, Alex. Who's going to be your college football week three lock of the week? Let's make some money this week. I'm going to take Minnesota, North Carolina. Uh, This is a game that I think Drake May is not, is simply not going to show up they're going to be they're going to be able to expose some things minnesota is 2-0 and right now i know they're not the powerhouse that a lot of people think of they don't have a lot of the quote-unquote guys that people are looking at but i think coming into and, and this is an away game for them so this is how much i and i know what i sound like ha 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 in terms of drake may but i'm just really down on what i have seen from him i just don't think he is the guy that we thought he was coming into this season. It's a very down season for him. That doesn't mean he can't be a great in the NFL, but we're just talking about the prospect aspect of it. I think Minnesota can pick them off, and I'm going to pick this. That's going to be my lock for the week. If the line is UNC is giving up 7.5 and and the over-under is 50, take the 7.5, and and Minnesota's going to beat North Carolina. Minnesota getting 7.5 on the road? I love that pick, Alex, because this Minnesota team – is really well coached. P.J. Fleck is a really good coach. He's got this team playing hard, and I think this is going to be a good matchup for them, and that key number is 7.5. Anytime when it comes to betting football, you guys probably know, once you get over that key number of 7, there's a lot of value there. So I love that pick, Alex. My college football week three lock of the week is a game that you mentioned just a minute ago, Alex, I'm going to take Mississippi State plus 10.5 versus LSU. Now, Mississippi State is 4-1 against the spread in its last five games. The Bulldogs are 8-1 straight up in their last nine home games. I think the Bulldogs can keep this game close with a strong running game. I like what I've seen from them. Will Rogers, I think, is going to be able to make throws versus this LSU secondary. And I think they're going to be able to keep this game a lot closer than the experts think. Ten and a half. Once again, like I talked about with North Carolina, that's a key number. Getting a touchdown field goal and that half point to go over 10 is really key when you're talking about football betting. So I love the number and I like this matchup here. Give me Mississippi State and the points. All right, NFL week two. Let's make some betting picks here, Alex. Who's going to be your week two lock of the week in the NFL? Going right back to the well, Seahawks over the Lions. Detroit is giving up six and the over-under is 47. Look for the Seahawks to right the ship here and run, 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 run the ball down the Lions' throat and limit the Lions' passing attack with their with that great secondary that they have. I have the Lions over the, excuse me, I have the Seahawks over the Lions taking the six points. I like that bet, Alex. I like it a lot because the Seahawks team, you know they're coming into this game super focused and ready to go after an embarrassing week one loss at home. They know this is a big, big game for them. Detroit, however, is coming in riding high after a big win against Kansas City. So I think when you look at the two teams here, you've got one that's playing from a little bit more desperation. I like that pick, plus getting six points. I think there's a lot of value there. 
my NFL Week 2 lock of the week. How about the New York Giants minus 4.5 versus the Arizona Cardinals? Now, look, similar to what I just said about the Seahawks, when you get embarrassed and lose to a team, especially like the Giants did, 40-0 to on Sunday Night Football on national TV, everybody's watching, everybody's talking about you, you're going to get your team's best focus and their best effort the following week. Now you're going up against a bad Cardinals team, and that certainly helps as well. I think the Giants are going to be able to run the ball, control the clock. I think they're going to win this game and cover in this one, knowing that an 0-2 start to their season essentially is going to end their season before it starts. We know that the percentage of teams that make the playoffs after an 0-2 start is very small. I think it's around 11 or 12% since 1990. So this is basically a must-win game for the Giants, a team that's coming off, like I said, that embarrassing loss. I think they're going to be focused and fired up to get this win. Give me the Giants minus 4.5 versus the Cardinals. You know, Brad, as we're always recording, I'm always checking online to see what's happening. Just a little bit of things that were going on while we've been recording. I see that Tariq Cohen, who hasn't played in the NFL, is signing with the uh, Panthers. Also, Leo Collins, offensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals, has now been released and is now is now a free agent. And Robert Sala has announced that this is Zach Wilson's team moving forward. So some interesting things that we're going to be able to look at as we move forward. Yeah, that is interesting, and I think this has got people shocked because I know this is not a player that I thought would get released here. Now, the Bengals brought over Orlando Brown, and they've got Jonah Williams at right tackle, so this is more of a depth piece at this point, but a pretty solid backup, and we know how the NFL is. Injuries can happen at any moment, so really interesting move by them. They must feel good about who they've got in that room, but I would I would not be surprised if he gets picked up by somebody, especially with some of the offensive line play that we saw in week one. I expect him to find a home here pretty quick. All right, that is going to do it, guys. PGF Nation, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Once again, I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.